Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Now then, now then, it's the IGN UK podcast number 223. I'm Daniel Krupp and I'm joined by Alex. Uh, and fresh from his travels, yet again, Chris. Hello, pod people. <laughs> the pod people. It's not caught on yet. No. <laughs> He's plugging away at it. I haven't said it for a year, so I'm bringing it back. Bringing it back. Old school. Um, we've not been up to much in the last week or so, have we, Alex? Uh, well, we've, we've met a man. Well, you're a hero. Yeah. You were a little bit nervous. I was, but it turns out he's actually a really nice man. And who is he? Uh, Hideo Kojima. You did talk about it a bit last week. Very fleetingly, mm-hmm. yes. But the content's kind of going to be going up this week and next, so we can talk a bit more detail about it. And the game's out as well. So, Ground Zero, yeah, all yeah, the Ground- embargoes are up. We've played the game. Uh, but more importantly, we've done five videos with Hideo Kojima. Hideo Kojima, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> you did that late, on the day. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I didn't walk in and bow or anything like that. It was actually really awkward watching loads of people going, should do the bow, don't really know how to do it, should have practised, don't want to headbutt him. Oh, there you go. So I just fist bumped him. Yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, I was very respectful because he is one of my gaming heroes because he's made some of the yeah. best games in the world. But uh, he talks us through the opening of Ground Zeroes, a bit like a kind of director's commentary. And uh, he probably could have spent what, three or four hours this, going through yeah. it. Like we had two hours with him and the last thing we did, we wanted him to look through the opening scene because he's famed for doing these really long cinema-influenced um, cutscenes in his games and he's a massive fan of Hollywood cinema. Hmm. And we were like playing the trailer and we said, anytime you want to talk about a scene or a shot or a particular choice you've made, tell us the pause and we'll, we'll hit pause on the keyboard and you can talk as much as you want because it was a bit difficult. We had a translator. Mm-hmm. And he just kept pausing. Like the first minute took us about 10 minutes to do. And we were like, I said to him midway, I was like, don't feel like you have to comment on everything. You know, you can skip bits as you want. And he was just like, I could do this all day. Yeah. He (laughs) he loved like breaking it down. And we've got a video next week where he talks about his film influences. And no surprise, Kubrick is his favorite director. Yeah. So it's all about detail. Yeah. A lot of detail. It, it was crazy. Like in that opening minute, there were so many different things that changed during development. And it's so rare that you get that kind of level of insight into how kind of games are made. And he's and someone who definitely thinks about where the camera should be in digital yeah. space, that he wants to frame it in this way to achieve a certain effect. So very much a filmmaker's eye. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what we've been up to. What about you, Tilly? Because you haven't been around for a while. I buggered off, didn't I? You uh, did. Yeah, Again. I, I went to Austin, as I do every March for South by Southwest. But this time you went to get your face punched in, your <sighs> wallet stolen. Yeah, it was a bit of a rough old week. Well, I didn't get my wallet stolen. I got my bag stolen. Oh, your bag. With I didn't my, know this. All my notes. Yeah, I got my bag stolen. I got I pretty you're... much yeah threatened by a taxi driver, threatened by people trying to get in a taxi. Then he got dumped in the middle of nowhere. Uh I had a rough week, right? Personally, um, met loads of horrible people as well. Sounds good. Uh, I saw some films though, right? I did. I saw um, Bad Neighbors, the new Seth Rogen, Zac Which Efron is film. Neighbors in America, is it? Neighbors in America. Imagine um, if they called it that over here. I'd go in there. Forcing Harold Bishop. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> That's why people in America want. Seth uh, Rogen is Harold Bishop. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Who's bouncer? I don't know. Zac Efron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bad Neighbours is very funny though it's yeah. one I went on the set of and we're hopefully going to do some fun stuff with Seth down the line yeah but it's very funny what Properly, kind of character does he play does he smoke weed in the film yeah amazing he plays a slob <laughs> he plays a slob who goes to war with the preppy uh, sorority dude who moves in next door Zach yeah. Efron with the yeah. six pack um, yeah it's really funny just consistently like rude laugh out loud edgy yeah very cool. really good that was good uh, what else did I see? I saw Frank. I saw Frank. That That's was, a weird film. It's a weird film. Do you know about Frank, Alex? Uh, well, I was reading something about it. So <laughs> well, maybe my review. review on IGN.com. <laughs> no, <laughs> no worries. No worries. Eight star. But eight. it's Frank Sidebottom, right? Kind of. Right. Because the, the John Ronson, I didn't know, was in Frank Sidebottom's band for a year. No, I, read this the on, I read this in your review. And yeah. That really surprised me. Yeah. And so he's written 
a story about a guy who becomes keyboardist in a band fronted by a guy called Frank, but it's not Frank Sidebottom. Right. It's not Frank Sidebottom. It's an American guy, actually. John Ronson being the guy, the journalist who wrote um, Many Stoic Goats and The Psychopath Test. Exactly. And Michael Fassbender's the guy underneath the Frank mask. So it's not the Frank Sidebottom story, though. No, it's definitely not. It's got nothing to do with that. It's It's just just a kind of weird illusion. By his experiences with that band. But so what's the mask of then if it's not Frank Sidebottom? No, it's the Frank Sidebottom mask. Uh, (laughs) Pretty much. I know, I know. Just get Frank Sidebottom out of your mind, which obviously not that many people would have heard of Frank Sidebottom. He was in filth recently. There's a whole Frank Sidebottom (laughs) section of filth that I imagine (laughs) anyone from North America, a lot of filth might go not down that well, but the Frank Sidebottom section might. It's mm, quite rude. It's really rude. But But Frank's really good. But you say get it out of your head, but then there's Michael Fassbender (laughs) with a a massive Frank Sidebottom mask. I I don't we're in days of future past. Because <laughs> my needs are. Why, why Michael Fassbender? Why is he doing that role? Does he ever take it off? I'm not going to say. Okay. I feel like it's a spoiler. Uh, okay. All right. He, fine. He does then. Um, what else did I say? I saw the Raid 2. Which I've heard great things about. Long? Too long. Mm. How long is that? Two and a half hours. What? Yeah. That film needs to be 90 minutes. Too, too many characters, too many plot strands, too long, but it's still brilliant. Right. It's still got the most amazing fight scenes you'll ever see. Some of them top the ones from the last film. It just lacks that kind of awesome self-contained, you know. I think you start to see the kind of raid bleed out effect now. Because the other day I saw Captain America 2, which I don't think I can talk about in great detail, but I can give my reaction to yeah. not betraying any uh, no, embargoes now. Like yeah, reviews up. Yeah, yeah and um, the raid is definitely an influence on the fight sequences yeah. in Captain America. Like the hand-to-hand combat, how kind of brutal and powerful it is. Mm. You, I think Raid's going to influence a lot more Hollywood films. You know, like the Bourne films did a few years yeah. ago. Yeah, I think the Raid's going to do that from now yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 much more like Infernal Affairs. This one, if you ever okay. saw that, yeah. all the, which The Departed was based yep. on, yep. it's basically a very similar plot where Raman's out of the building and he almost literally has to go straight undercover, and then it's like the next two years of his life undercover. Oh, so yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. So a good time travel movie called Predestination with Ethan Hawking. I'll just dash over these I saw The Mule an Australian film about a a guy who keeps drugs up his bum for two weeks Um, (laughs) and I saw the From Dust Till Dawn TV pilot was it it any good you reviewed it it was good but it was exactly the same as the movie but they'd stretch the first 10 minutes of the movie into 45 minutes and then the next 10 minutes are going to be 45 minutes and that's the movie oh Jesus Christ so so they haven't even met like what would be the family that they end up so this is a Netflix original Yes, uh, but it's not going to be all the episodes at once. It's going to be like one a week, is it? I think so. Yeah, it's on. It's it's because it's being broadcast on a channel called El Rey, which is Robert Rodriguez's new channel right, in America. Right, right, okay. right, right. And so they're, we're getting it each week that they get it. Gotcha. Right. Because okay. I was going to say that goes against everything that Netflix does. Yeah. The whole point of Netflix, yeah, it's, it's not a point of so it's, so it's, it's not, not Netflix yeah. original. No. It's like a, it's right. like what they did with Breaking Bad. Then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Okay. But it, it looked. I mean, it was really well made, and Don Johnson was in it, and he was really good. But. <laughs> Not, not something you expect to hear. But it was but that kind of Tarantino thing, though. Well, like John Johnson like, appears in um, Django. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's quite a good actor and he's really good in this. But yeah, it just seemed a bit of a pointless exercise, really. Django? Yeah, he's like, very br- fleetingly, he's like one of the kind of um, southern plantation owners. Yeah, daddy right. something or other. Yeah, called? daddy. Big daddy or something. Daddy, yeah, sugar. Is right. yeah. Sugar, sugar daddy? <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Um, and finally, Shugs. I also spoke to Gareth Edwards about the new Godzilla. Or Sheila which we uh, we posted on the site yesterday. A bit spoilery. Can we talk about this? Is, is it a spoiler? It's not I don't really know. It's, it's kind of in the trailer a little bit, the international trailer. There's a teaser. And also, we've it. got a news piece on it. Yeah. So, right. of course, we Should can we talk, talk about, about it now. It? Yeah. It's not a spoiler. Yeah. There's other monsters in Godzilla. There's other monsters in Godzilla. Or one, at least. There's at least one other monster. So is it turning into Pacific Rim? Uh, no. Okay. God, no. Because in the trailer, something, something's flying. There's a big flying monster in the trailer. Well, that's not the monster I've seen, I don't think. Oh, really? There's more than one monster. I want Mothra. Wow. Well, in our um, set visit piece that went up today, or this is up this week, uh, there's a lot more detail as to what other stuff you can see in the movie, if you want to know everything in advance. But everything I've seen so far, and everything, we were talking about this yesterday, everything that Gareth Edwards He's is saying. He's saying all the right yeah, things for me. It like, just sounds like it's a movie you want to see. Did you read that interview? The, the, the film he name checked yeah, no. was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Right. He says that's the influence of what you were saying, like yeah. a family at the heart of something that's much bigger than, than than themselves. Yeah, paranoia. Yeah, he just sounds like he knows what to say. And it sounds like he's been given a lot of control. Yeah. Yeah, he was saying he's no one's uh, been telling him no, he's just done what he wanted. Really? 
that play, that, that company legendary well. seem to be good for that yeah. yeah and they're doing world of warcraft with with duncan yeah and they're the ones that do the nolan movies like yeah. and batman like they, they yeah. know what they do it looks incredibly yeah. stylish as well all the stuff with like the pilot skydiving and the yeah, flurs cool. there's something very yeah. kind of poetic about it like yeah. the imagery it's not just crunching monsters there's something quite beautiful about it in a weird way yeah, yeah. let's hope it lives up to expectation okay should we get onto the news? Let's do the news. News, 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 news. Um, loads of massive film news this week, but we're going to start off with the news that Star Wars 7 is set 30 years after the return of the Jedi. Now, was this new news? Or was this something Confirmation that we spoke about for about a year? All news is regurgitated on the internet. I think it's something everyone thought. I think it's the first time someone but from Lucasfilm has come out and yeah. really said that it will also focus on a trio of new stars alongside um, some familiar faces okay. and they went on record as saying principal photography will start filming in May May yep not May the 4th that would probably. be probably a press release will be sent out on May the 4th I <laughs> no, imagine yeah. um, so it's almost like in real time because it was the 30th anniversary of Return of the Jedi last year when I went to the Star Wars convention I think it was yeah, 33 yeah so it's kind of in mm. real time then which yeah. makes sense because we expect some of the actors to be returning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they'll be playing themselves 30 year hence. Yeah. What do we think of that news? It's just, you know, my whole feeling on Star Wars 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, however many they're going to be. I, the brand for me has been diluted so much over the past 30 years that it just doesn't have the kind, same kind of resonance that it once had. Yeah. And so I want to start seeing something that will make me excited. And you know what? It might not be for me. It might be for a new audience, which is obviously the prequels for a, well, were for my kids, I'm, which I, is fine. Yeah. Well, I wonder if like Disney are thinking hiring Abrams in particular, because what he did last time, even though he can't please everyone, what he did with Star Trek was yep. kind of cater for two very different audiences simultaneously. Mm. Yep. And the trick with Star Wars today, as Star Wars stands today, is catering for both the kind of old school fans yep. and the kids. Yeah. And if you can pull <coughs> off a film that will satisfy those two demographics, then you're onto a winner. That is but not going to be easy. easy. That is. I, I bet that, that that first time you see Luke on screen again like I'll, in the I'll trailer think, Jesus you look old man like binary sunset he goes oh just give me a minute yeah. <laughs> Princess Leia kind of like, like staggering you be, 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 just like you've aged 30 years like but no, every do. time I look yeah. in the mirror I go <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's normal it's healthy okay. yeah I, th- I, I really th- hope I, Han Solo's not wearing an earring though <laughs> Do you, imagine that just like flying the Millennium Falcon pulling up at light or winding down the window just winking <laughs> at the girls next door anyway but yeah I mean I'm I'm down with it I'm down with it I, I, I'm really excited to see the three characters return even though we're hearing that they might not be in the film too much but yeah but that's, we're thinking Lennon Nemoy story track well, he was in, a, in it a lot though the first one not too much yeah. it, it's a good it's a decent cameo it's but, not like it's not overbearing well, that's your opinion differs and, and I think I think we're agreed on the fact that we're excited that it's not George Lucas yes it's someone yeah. with a, a great filmmaker with a vision who's taken over yeah. who really knows his Star, Star Wars as well and the original Star Wars like everyone around the production when I was at that convention last year like Kathleen Kennedy the producer they're really just citing the original trilogy you yeah, won't yeah. really hear them mention the prequels all that much like the way it looks the design mm. the way they're going to shoot it but I guess all it's, going it's, back to the originals it's continuing on from Return of the Jedi isn't it yeah. so yeah. you know the further we can leave behind the prequels I the better really yeah, yeah it's weird they're going to have to do that retro technology thing where we're yeah. so far like, like oh, Star yeah. Trek has, has managed to do that quite well but effects have moved that, on 30 years thing, and yeah, yeah. it's going to be cause, like it's weird that Prometheus just didn't even bother with like even acknowledging it's like I just make everything well futuristic yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well I hope I hope I that it's not all CG I hope there's some kind of real I think Star Wars can because... get away with it more than Star Trek because it's kind of soft sci-fi it's fantasy mm. sci-fi where it's less focused on the technology it never really was it's, there's more kind of mythical stuff yeah. in there but I just think, you know, and again, Jurassic Park is a really good example. When you're actually interacting with physical things, you just get better results. Yeah. Um, and Superman, which is the opposite, where everything was CG. I just or even, his still, cape, sorry. even his cape. I, it just felt like. Mm. But you it mentioned just doesn't feel believable. 
Yeah, did you mention Jurassic Park? I did mention Jurassic Park, oh, yes. That's interesting. Um, oh, actually, now you no, 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 say it. Slick. Um, I got an interesting email a couple of weeks ago from um, Colin Trevorrow, who directed the movie Safety Not Guaranteed, and mm-hmm. I got to know him around that time, and we've stayed in touch. And he emailed me saying, um, I'm off to shoot Jurassic World in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to do one interview before I go to Hawaii. Uh, do you want the interview? Obviously, yes. You were, you were like, well, Imagine let me if think you about said, it. <laughs> 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 Jog on. I haven't got enough time to come up with some well, questions. Well, he's, he's, he kind of said, though, I, I want to address certain things that are out there. Yeah. So you can ask me two or three questions, but I also want to talk about a couple of other things. And that was kind of, we went back and forth a little bit. And um, eventually this week, we've been able to publish what he said. But it, it, the, the, the most exciting bit of news was about the casting. And I, I think he was just getting a bit annoyed or frustrated at all these the speculation that was circulating about who would return from the original movies because, you know, there's a rabid fan base out there that want to see Jeff Goldblum or Sam Neill. Um, Maybe someone wants to see Laura Dern. I'm, I don't know who that is. Yep. Not so bothered. <laughs> nah. um, but yeah, and it turns out none of them are returning. Yeah. And I am probably one of those rabid fans. And I think I wrote a piece originally when Jurassic World was announced did, a year yeah. and a half ago or whenever mm-hmm. about things that were like. And I think I put Sam Neill in there. Yeah. But what you've got to realise and the skill of being a good filmmaker and making a good instalment is not giving fans what they want because yeah. fans don't know what they want. Yeah, they don't know how to make a good film. Yeah, and you know what I've seen of Chris Pratt in other things, and just from the trailer, I think he could be a great leading man. Yeah. It's time to move on. It's time yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, as he said in the interview, that the Jurassic Park films aren't about three people no. who keep getting into bad luck. And it would be so painful trying to write a reason for them to return yet again. Well, that's yeah. what like the sequels are kind of about. It's yeah. like, oh, Jeff Goldblum again, Sam Neill again. But the, the essence of the original one is a disaster movie. Yeah. And that's what it seems like this one is. Like everything's, if it is a big theme park that's up and running, and they're going to try and basically redo the first film, like in essence, but mm. on a much bigger scale. That sounds brilliant. Yeah. But who is returning, Dan? Dr. Wu. Dr. Wu. Wu is back. Dr. Wu. Back again. Hey. Dr. Wu is back. Wu. Woohoo. So Wu is is the guy who um, is a pioneer behind the technology that brings the dinosaurs back. And he's there in the scene when they first go to the visitor center. And he's the guy who's got a clipboard and he's talking. He when the velociraptor egg is hatching yeah. and Sam Neill goes, well, what, what species is this? And he goes, he looks very nonchalantly. He's got um, velociraptors. Yeah. That's his best moment in the film. There and he's go. played by an actor called BD Wong, who um, is going to be playing the part again in this movie. Who went on his IMDb. He doesn't seem to have aged in no. 20 years. Well, that's good. Because is this movie set before or after? No, again, or around the I think it's like Star Wars. This is present day. This is 20 oh, is years okay. on from, from Jurassic Park. Which right. kind of, again, makes sense in story-wise. Like, you know, takes that long to put a disaster of that magnitude behind you to yeah. like move on. And yeah, and rebuild. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, we were all in agreement. I'll, That's pretty cool news, I, I think. I yeah. bet he couldn't believe his luck when he got the phone call for that. <laughs> I bet he was never expecting <laughs> that. No, he's, he's like, like oh I'm just God. doing a bit of TV stuff. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're and my man. I think it's cool though to have a character that makes sense. He, he talks about the fact that he's been in Hammond's shadow for the last 20 years yeah. and hasn't got uh, the credit he feels like he deserves. So you can see how that would work into a plot where... He might have been twisted over the last 20 years or... Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the questions I asked you, were they not were not ready to comment on this yet, but is John Williams's music? There was no comment no on that No comment front. on that just I did, yet. I did ask that question. Right, okay. No comment on that front. There's some more stuff if you look at the feature um, about the Bits new aspect ratio. Yeah, really interesting ways they're filming it. It's going to have a distinctive look, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's all in there. Um, but equally, and I think if you are unhappy that those guys aren't returning, this isn't going to be the last Jurassic Park movie. I see no reason why Jeff Goldblum couldn't be in a future one. Yeah, or, or, or like we're saying about Star Wars or Star Trek as a cameo, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I really like the fact that Chris Pratt's character is a scientist. Yeah. And he has a different field of expertise. So obviously, scientists and kind of um, academics have always been at the core yeah, yeah. I mean characters of Jurassic Park I like that that's being continued in spirit yeah. I think he's going to be a scientist in the same way that Indiana Jones is an archaeologist yeah badass scientist yeah, that's, yeah. yeah exactly that's cool yeah, yeah. Sam, Sam Hill's pretty badass uh, other news Watch Dogs 
It's going to take you 40 hours to complete if you're average at games. How would you? Are you average at games, Daniel? I like to think I'm better than average. I think we proved that when we got to press events. It'll take you 35 hours to complete. <laughs> Chris, how good at games are you? Um, I would say I'm below average these days. It'll take you 80 hours to complete. Okay. How long would it take um, you to complete, Alex? Probably about five. 160. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the creative director of Watch Dogs, which obviously was coming out last year, uh, is now coming out this year later in a couple of months. So uh, on average, it'll take 35 hours to complete to 40 hours according to the creative director but if you want to see everything 100 hours that's a lot of bang for your buck yeah but just being reservation pessimistic voice here with a lot of these open world games is that collecting every single little thing that's flying through the I air? Would climbing every big building? That is, I, that I is just like about to say, every single like, challenge. And knowing it's Ubisoft and a lot of Ubisoft games feel like they begin to kind of blend into one. It's going to be skeleton, yeah. the Assassin's Creed effect. So yeah, yeah going up, opening every, well, it's not going to be a chest, but probably hacking every security camera, doing every little side quest, which, you know, some people dig. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at Ground Zeroes, obviously out this week, that whole game is based on side quests. Like you can zip through that in, well, some people have done it in 10 minutes, but actually there's eight to 10 hours of game in there if you want to explore everything. So I, yeah, I, I just think it's a nice thing to do is that, yeah, if you want to, I, although, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who likes to finish a game in under 15 hours. Yeah. Like, I'm sure five hours play. is like, I would oh suspect you could do the campaign around about that time still. I hope so. <laughs> okay. But that's, I, I just think it's interesting. I think, you know, I hope that that game delivers because, God, we first heard about that, what, three years ago, four yeah, years ago? I feel like it's been forever we've been talking yeah. about Watch Dogs. And uh, I just kind of want to see the finished product now and hope that it lives up to what it's It's quite futuristic technology in the game. Or it, it was, but now... I was going to say, that's, that's what I mean, isn't yeah. it? Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it looks really great. If you go back now, he's just got this massive Etch-A-Sketch <laughs> and he's trying to hack into <laughs> stuff. Terry Gilliam was talking Nokia about... Phone yeah. Yeah. Terry Gilliam colours. was talking about that last week on the podcast where he said that when they first doing Zero Theorem, they were talking about futuristic stuff and it was already outdated by the time the film's coming out. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, talking about Ubisoft yes. games, um, Assassin's Creed is leaked again for another year. Ugh. This always happens every single year. I'm sure Ubisoft are never the ones to make the announcement. No. It always comes out from like some retailer or... So what was the, the cause or the, sorry, the source of the leak um, this I, time? Well, Kotaku. Kotaku yeah. got a screenshot of the new Assassin's Creed game, which makes it look like it's in 18th century Paris. So Jade mm. Raymond's favourite historical uh, period, apparently, apparently <laughs> is the, uh, revolutionary France, right. which has long been rumoured to say, be we've aesthetic. Talked about that, haven't yeah, we? it's it's like we were going to talk to his school teachers, weren't we? That was wasn't that an idea? The idea was to talk to Jade Raymond's yeah, school teachers. Teacher. Yeah. What, what did she <laughs> we really never like? Did do that. She <laughs> loved no guillotines. She loved yeah. Robespierre. <laughs> um, because Assassin's Creed weaves in and out of real life history, and mm. obviously it's one of the biggest historical events of the last, you know, five hundred years, really, yep. Yep. and it's really shaped Europe and Western culture. So it's no surprise that the Assassin's Creed mythos will visit that period. But it seems like this year might be the year that happens. But what's kind of more interesting than um, the reveal that it's revolutionary France is that there apparently there's two. Assassin's Creed games in development. One codenamed Unity, the other codenamed Comet. The former will release on Xbox One and PS4, and the latter will release on 360 and PS3. So we're going to get a generation divide. See, I wonder if that'll be a bit like, obviously, Liberation and uh, Assassin's Creed 3. Yeah. It, three? it was 3, wasn't it? Yeah, like companion games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they could just be the same game and they've just got different codenames because they've got different hardware demands or teams working like specs on, on it yeah, yeah like maybe they were Titanfall yeah. but um, are you interested in another Assassin's Creed if it's now in France well I was going to say yeah I would be interested in, in another Assassin's Creed I'm not particularly that into 4 you didn't like, Black Flag was the one that won everyone back I didn't even say that let me finish oh. <laughs> I was going to say I'm not, your mouth. I was going to say not that into um, revolutionary France really just it doesn't kind of set the like, I looked at the screenshot I was like yeah yeah, it's not the most exciting screenshot. It's just him outside of a building. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah, uh, but people might get beheaded. There might be barricades. Yeah, he might start singing. It might be like lamers. If Crow, if Russell Crowe's singing it, I'm, I'm up. I'm down for it. Maybe you will. Oh, actually, when it comes can out, can we like reenact lamers using <laughs> Assassin's Creed Five? I've never seen it. Never seen lamers. I've not seen Beautiful. the movie, and I've not seen the stage show. I've got to see the stage show of the film. Mm. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> but um. 
so obviously there was there has been a lot of chat about whether naval battles will return, but it's like. Surely that's been done to death now. That's been in two Assassin's mm, Creed yeah, games. What's the next naval battle? I don't know. What's the big kind of or, or transport mechanism for revolutionary France? I don't know. Stagecoaches? Stagecoach. Yeah. Um, also, you know, it's usually in an Assassin's Creed game, you have like multiple cities. Yeah. Now, Paris was really the main site of yeah. the French yeah, Revolution. Yeah. I can't imagine you going to kind of more kind of rural French cities. No. It'd be good if they had a narrative that kind of hopped more around Europe. I wonder if you can go to Disneyland, Paris. Or in, in, inside revolution. Yeah. What top? That was, that was the head goofy. Was what about the Moulin Rouge? Oh. Hello. When was the, when was the Eiffel <laughs> Tower built? Don't know. I wonder if you can climb that. That it would have been it, it would oh, be nineteenth century. But that would be a. Hell it of a won't climb. be built by then. No, I don't think so. Maybe it, it's built as you play through the game. I don't know. I don't know my history. <laughs> We're gonna we should, we should have like, researched French history before we sat down to yeah, discuss late, it. Late, got, late 19th century. We should have got Jane Raymond on to talk about her favourite period in, in history. So the Eiffel Tower won't be built by then? No. Yeah. Not by a long shot. That, well, that's the reason years. for setting it in Paris, to climb that bad boy. I'd take hours. Anyway. I know, but wouldn't that be cool? I'd do that. If that and was then just jump the off game, in, into a hay bale at the bottom of the arc, <laughs> and he dies because <laughs> yeah. your ancestor was an idiot. Yeah. Um, there you go. So that's that it for the news. Five. That is it for the news. Now this week's talking point. Obviously, it's a GDC was happening this week, and Sony made an announcement that we've been expecting for a while that they are stepping into the world of virtual reality. Uh, their product is called Project. <coughs> Sorry, Chris. Their their product is called Project Morpheus, which is a consumer-based VR headset that looks, I don't know, it looks kind of swanky. What do you think? It looks very, very swish and in keeping with all the other kind of PlayStation 4 stuff. It's got the kind of blue LED glow from it. It does look cool. It looks a lot more kind of sci-fi than the Oculus Rift. The Oculus Rift looks kind of utilitarian, like somebody has just you know it built it it look the morpheus looks like it's had a design team behind it yeah so i guess some of the things about the morpheus is that so the uh screens eye eyeball screens whatever you want to call them are (laughs) hd it's a new territory here exactly uh rhd so it looks kind of super crisp so it's obviously going to make the most of like ps4 graphics etc apparently they're called panels is that panel resolution okay uh, but it's also going to work in conjunction with the uh, PlayStation camera and the PlayStation Move. So it will detect kind of leaning and there will be a lot more to it than um, the Oculus Rift. Because uh, Oculus Rift currently doesn't support that. But yeah. at CES in January, they announced that there's a new iteration of Oculus Rift yep. called Crystal Cove, which um, dev kit's going out shortly, which will integrate that kind of leaning motion yeah. and like tilt functionality. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, our guys in the US have been playing around with it. So, Scott Lowe, uh, he was talking that the, the kit itself is really, really well built, like really good quality, which is what you would expect from Sony. Um, I've only played Oculus a tiny little bit, and it feels, it is a prototype, but it feels like it's, you know, something that's been strapped together with headphones that's pu- that pulled together. Uh, and who knows what the final product is going to be like, but uh, apparently the Sony thing feels like a proper consumer uh, piece of technology. But the other thing that he said was really, really interesting so far is the tech stuff, the demos, the software that's been shown. So he played a demo called Deep. You play the role of a diver and you go down into the water inside a shark proof cage. And apparently it's just like completely immersive. Like you're there, the sound sounds incredible. You've got sharks uh, swimming past you. That and sounds terrifying. This is a uh. genuine quote from Scott. He says, the shark may well be the most lifelike I've ever seen in a game. <laughs> That's a hell of a quote. Oh, right? Have we done our top 25 sharks in games? Because as a temple, I might take Surely the on. point of this, though, would be to not put you in a cage. Why would you need to be in a cage if it's virtual? Protection. <laughs> Do you want to <laughs> swim with them? <laughs> I don't know. Protection from what? You're asking the big question. <laughs> but he was saying that even though, you know, so it's in the middle of GDC, so it's a busy show floor. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of sound bleed with everything going on. He still said it was like completely immersive and, and just felt amazing. So, so on that point, like... I mean, like, I'm sure it's super immersive. I read a comparison of that and the Oculus. Yeah. Now, currently, the Morpheus has a like more narrow viewing angle. Right. There's apparently a little bit more light bleed as okay. well. 
but it's much lighter than the Oculus because the processing is done in a box that sits yes. between the headset and your console. Yeah. So what you put on your head is basically just the display. There's no kind of processing going on <laughs> right. in there. Right. So again, more user-friendly, I think. Yeah. So, but actually, earlier this week we got round to playing with an Oculus for um, what's well, a rugby England rugby. Yes, yeah, it's, um, right? it's a project called Were the Rose, which is an initiative by O2 to give people an experience of what it's like to train with the England rugby team, yeah. with a view to eventually one day maybe turning it into kind of a sports-based simulator. But um, we had it in the office, didn't we? And yeah. It's the first time you guys had played with a Oculus Rift headset. Yeah, so it's yeah. not a game. But it, we, we should say it was like just a video. But it was kind of an immersive video because you can turn around. Stuff. Yeah, yeah so I, I nearly played. I nearly played one last week in Texas. Right, a, a Game of Thrones Oculus Rift. Is this a recreation of the wall or yeah, something? Yeah, but the I read queue about was this. too big. Right, oh. the queues everywhere. So yeah, this was the first time. <laughs> yeah. So what did you make of it, Alex? Well, firstly, I thought it was a really clever kind of piece of kit because so th this video is you're tra training with the England rugby team. And apparently, yeah. to get the the effect, they had quote i believe a no. small person so it felt like you're kind of in with the action with a he has to get the right angle thing on his head it was like uh, yeah it's a custom with, gimbal yeah with, with um eight gopros i think that's what he said mm. yeah it was like um loads of gimbals mounted on a custom built gimbal rig what's a gimbal uh, a gimbal is that something <laughs> when you move it it stabilizes itself is it okay right. and um it was created in conjunction with a guy called david crone of unit nine who is a qualified remote pilot on drone technology so they had all this gim all this footage from GoPros yeah. that they then had to like digitally stitch together yeah. to create this kind of seamless 3D image, which yeah. really does seem so, seamless. So that's the thing that I thought was really, really clever is that, so you're there in the middle of a scrum and the ball comes to you and it's just like looking around and tracking where the ball's going. And obviously in the video, they kind of, not force you, but encourage you to look at whoever's talking. But I kind of forgot about that and just <coughs> you started looking around, around, don't you? And, and and I thought that was you know really really clever. The one thing I will say, so this was based on you know original Oculus tech, so it was uh, standard def screens or panels. Uh, and I I've, when I first got in there, I just thought this doesn't look very good. But then you kind of get used to it. Yeah. Um, I really want to see what HD panels look like inside that because I th I thought the tech was great. I didn't really feel. Uh, motion sickness which obviously a lot of people complain about I think the motion sickness comes more when you've got a um, controller and you're controlling it yourself because right. when you've got the analogs it's more it's easier to disorientate yourself than yeah. when you're just looking around with your head it's when you can like quickly turn around then you start feeling a bit queasy sometimes right, right. I did a little bit I mean I don't think we should have tested it out standing in the room we were in in front of a glass table. Because when I first put it on, I felt really You're disoriented like, yeah. and I nearly fell bit forward. Top <laughs> a bit top heavy. I just, I just smashed into the table. So maybe have a bit of space. So what did you, you think when the, um, when the guys like throw a pass to you? You kind of do want to put your hands out, don't you? A little yeah, bit. Yeah, to be honest. And then you the, want to look like an idiot. If the, if the bloke hadn't come in and was standing in front of me yeah. and was testing it, I would have been, been doing like, all that. Yeah. As there was someone standing in front of me. embarrassing, yeah. Yeah, I didn't do it. But I wanted to like catch well, it and throw it. There was definitely a, f uh, a feeling of wanting to dodge when they're charging towards you to tackle you. You kind of wanted to duck out the, the, the way. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting technology. The bigger question is, is this actually going to make it into the mainstream? Will you sit at home with one of those on your head and actually play it? I don't, I don't know. Um, like, is, is, is I, I this going to be the next 3D where well, like so much is invested in it, but actually the uptake by consumers I is... Some, is mm. I think there's some good quotes here. Yoshida, the head of PlayStation, yeah. um, said, this may well shape the future of games. Yeah. So he's kind of hedging himself yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Where meanwhile, there's this other guy called Anton Mikhailov who said, we're treating VR as a medium, not a peripheral. So right. he seems like he's fully behind it. But... Those two kind of demos that were available at GDC, one is The Deep, there's another one called The Castle, where you can hold two um, move controllers and you can kind of do a bit of sword play. Right. Um, they sound like, I know they haven't had time to build a full game, but they sound like rides yeah. and attractions. Yeah. And that's my thing so far about Oculus. The way that it's demoed, because there's a lot of buzz about it and there's not many of them. The way it's demoed, it's like you queue for a ride. It's an experience. You put it on, yeah, yeah. you're like E-Valkyrie, you get blasted out of the thing, you shoot yeah. some stuff and then you take it off, you're like, whoa, like you just got off a roller yeah. coaster. And that's brilliant. And you get a buzz from that. But then do you want to have a three-hour gaming session yeah. with that on? And that's like that's a slightly bigger proposition. Yeah. I, I, wonder, I wonder if it's just a novelty. Um, I've spoken to a few filmmakers who are having meetings about Oculus Rift, about potentially trying to 
create some kind of movies for it. I think uh, it's obviously an idea um, that, that, that they'll be thinking about. But for me, I don't know all of having to turn around and look behind yourself and stuff. Yeah. It's just going to start getting on my nerves after a while. I mean, I don't know because we've not done it for long. Yeah, yeah. But you feel like you just want to see stuff in front of you and not have to keep yeah i can i can kind of imagine wearing it at home and not moving around and using the kind of vr stuff too much but just having a massive use it to have a massive screen yeah like you're in the cinema at home without having to get a huge because it is it mm. is i know the whole point is but it's completely absorbing mm. like um there was a little bit of sound bleed that we had so i could hear people talking overall is like wherever you look apart from again i think there was a small black area around your body where the cameras didn't pick up it was like wow this is this is properly incredible and i can imagine in i know let's say game of thrones you've got a massive fight imagine being in the middle of that and looking all around you to see what was going on but that is absolutely it's a roller coaster ride it's not at the a, moment, a way it is, of yeah. experiencing it's, some, it's something I'd like to do like they did um, with uh, Superman Returns which was where there were three scenes in the movie in 3D yeah. I was quite happy doing that putting my glasses on taking them off I would love if all 3D movies were like that for specific yeah. scenes it's a fun way to experience the film but yeah. as for it it's really it's really difficult to imagine how it's going to be introduced because it's not like 3D is a little bit different it's kind of it's technology that goes on top of what there already exists. With this, it would change. It would ha- it have to be such a kind of monumental shift in how you actually make things yeah. and how you like create them and conceive them. That it's much harder for us to conceive of how we'll use it. It, it is way more suited to gaming in that you know mm-hmm. obviously gaming exists in three D worlds, yeah. so yeah. you can drop that camera in anywhere. In movies, you're seeing the director's vision that he wants or she wants you to see. So yeah, I just don't know if it's going to work for. Like mainstream also, movies. I, I feel like we're not convinced but if you're a developer this must be really exciting yeah. to have this put in front of you and say this is a whole new way yeah you of approaching be, game making it's your opportunity to be a pioneer mm. and like do something that nobody's ever done before which is great but also there's kind of other implications for it like I think we have a feature actually being written at the moment about how imagine horror games Imagine how much yeah. more scary and intense like that will be. Constantly and looking over your shoulder. Yeah. To, to a point that actually you might not want that experience. Yeah. There's a point where that level of immersion is actually counterproductive. Like you actually don't want to play that, yeah. exp- have that experience because it's too actually real and too traumatic. But I, I also think if you look at, I don't know, I went to Disneyland last year and I went on Star Tours. Now that is an old ride and it feels clunky. But imagine, you know, with Star Wars 7 coming out that that is a VR-based ride mm, and you're yeah. in the back of the X-Wing behind whatever and you're looking around. That would be amazing. I'd yeah. love that. Again, rides. Rides, sort of stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's but, the future. But that's maybe how it'll start. Like on mm. PSN, you can download the Star Wars experience. Yeah. You can download the Jurassic Park experience. Mm. And that's maybe how it starts to be used by PR companies. They develop these experiences that you can try out for 10 minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than full-blown games because, you know, you just channel resources in that way that's maybe how it starts anyway i i guess the other kind of key thing is like how much is the the project morpheus headset going to cost they haven't said that yeah but that is that's the kind of key thing well apparently they're thinking because currently uses lcds but the new oculus uses all the oled right apparently that gives a much better experience but obviously that's more expensive way way more expensive yeah so yeah so, but yeah, I think it's interesting tech. Um, I'm sure they'll show more at E3. So we'll hopefully get our first glimpse and figure out whether it is the future or a fad. Mm. So moving on, uh, we have got uh, listener feedback. Daniel, I think you've got the first piece. Do you think that developers leak information about their games themselves as part of a marketing strategy? Or do you think, because it drives hype about the game, because yep. we weren't supposed to know the information, so it seems a little bit more illicit and a yep. bit more exciting to read about. Underground. Um, so I guess this links back to the Assassin's Creed yeah. announcement. And we say that happens every single year. Is that part of Ubisoft's marketing strategy? Now, recently... Um, Tom Butler, who we thought had died. Um, Is he not? No, he's not died. Ah. He did um, an interview with Gary Oldman for the um, release of Robocop. And Gary Oldman, in that interview, admitted that the leaked images of Robocop on set was by the studio. Really? He just said, yeah, the studio leaked those. Because Gary Oldman does not care what he says. (laughs) Um, So I guess there's precedent for this happening. That these leaks aren't necessarily leaks. Yeah. Mm. What do you think about this? Do you think there's some truth it, to that? It happens so often. Like, Sony have got a bit better. But every E3, 
all of their stuff comes out before the announcements. So, and I actually think that's damaging because you get to the point where you're sitting in an E3 conference and you know what the next game is going to be and they're like, oh, wait for it as the big announce. And it's like, oh. Uh, but it's just not like just a practical consideration in these companies that have 300, 400, 500 people working on a game or a it's project impossible. that you know people are a bit lax, people are incompetent or people just whatever they can't yeah. be they'll send the pitch to their mates the mm. what i'm working on yeah 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 it can't it's kind of hard to like it happens in every industry as well like that many iPhones people and yeah. you, know, you see you know pictures of the iphone shelves coming off the because it requires so many line. people to make these things yeah yeah it's become a lot more a part of the film industry um in the last few years particularly when it comes to casting and we've become a part of this machine unfortunately but the studio will put out leak ideas for who should play a character four or five actors right and then um, it will really um, inform their decision as to how really? the internet and fans respond right. to different people. To to the point that I feel like someone's been cut out of a movie this summer because there was such a backlash against really? them. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I don't want to say who because I don't know for definite and it's might be potentially libelous but yeah um I, I, yeah and, and, and that's why you'll see these these shortlists coming out constantly right. there's been so many shortlists for star wars that are apparently official shortlists and i'm sure it's them gauging what people are thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. and, well, and recently we got out. a list of potential directors for doctor strange as well and stuff like that happens quite frequently mm. you know run it a lot on the site and see it elsewhere interesting yeah it's kind of free market research yeah. on a massive scale but the, but what, i understand what you're saying but on the flip side whoever has the exclusive on the next Assassin's Creed I'd be pretty annoyed with that mm. yeah because was it us <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but I know that only a screenshot has come out but the time period and the but time still period that's come like, out, like you want that that's the yeah juicy stuff yeah anyway uh, I've got a piece of feedback from Josh Smith who uh, says he was watching 300 last night before the film there's a full five minutes of Captain America beforehand and then an extended trailer afterwards so by the time he'd finished watching the film, it feels like he's, well, he's watched, you know, almost 15 minutes of the film and he knows a lot about what happens in the direction of the movie. Why do studios do this? A trailers and teaser trailers not enough. Um, what's worse um, is bar walking out the film, you can't even ignore it. So it, do you know anything? What, what is the reasoning behind that? I, I hate that. I, well, I think we all hate it. Um, I think they think we're stupid sometimes. Yeah. I feel like they think audiences are getting more stupid and they have to show you yeah. more and more to convince you yeah. to come and see the film when a really good teaser would get me in the cinema much quicker than, than yeah. 10 minutes of a movie. I, I, mean, I think it gets to a point where if one studio does it, you get in a situation like um, Commissioner Gordon says, it's about escalation. Yeah. If one person does it, mm. look what they're putting in their trailer. Yeah. We're going to have to beat that. Yeah. Let's put all our best scenes in the trailer and then everyone's doing it and no one can back down from that. Because mm. if you do, it looks like your film's a bit boring. Yeah. Because it is, you know, I, I guess in olden days, you probably used to have one or two trailers mm -hmm. and now there is, well, multiple trailers, multiple cuts of those trailers, whether it's domestic international or international oh. and this, that and the other. And, only slight changes, but still, it's like... And it ties right. in with showing us journalists 25, 30 minutes of a film. We've got a, a preview of 25 minutes of Spider-Man up uh, on the site this week. Um, two weeks ago, I saw, you know, 20 minutes of Godzilla, 20 minutes of Edge of Tomorrow. It ruins it. I know everything yeah. in Edge of Tomorrow, to the yeah. point that pretty much... feel like Me and Luke feel like we know the ending. We'll, yeah. we'll see if that's true. Yeah. Um, and it makes my job actually harder rather than easier. I mean, I know we're try they're trying to get excitement going, but there were a couple of things we didn't like. We we moaned both times about being shown too much. Yeah, I I, I don't see the good in it, and I have complained to the studios about it, saying I don't I don't think this works. But but that's it's, we see the same on on games as well. Mm. Like um, it gets to a point where you're getting a trailer every single week for a game. It's like I, did you just get a saturation point where you you build up excitement? But then it's like, do you know what? I've seen too much and I don't care anymore. I just want to play the game. So it can have a negative effect. I think, you know. More is um, not more. Yeah. And I, and I I think GTA was a really good uh, balance of that. God, the did. craving to see more of it. Yeah. Like, like genuinely, that, that surely served them better. Yeah. Obviously, GTA is a slight yeah. exception. But but that, that was also the first time in a long time where I've seen screenshots and got excited by a screenshot. Normally, it's video, <laughs> video, video. You do feel and cheated when you think it's a new trailer and it's actually the same stuff recut to yeah. different music. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah. Oh, this is lame. Yeah. Uh, although, speaking of screenshots, obviously the new Batman screenshots that you circulated around 
they were pretty, pretty badass. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing that in the actual game for Batman Immersion, rather gameplay. than just I think uh, for a lot of games fans, it's the initial debut trailer, which is, you know, I don't mind a CG trailer. Yeah. They look pretty cool and gets yeah. you, you mm. it establishes the tone of the piece. And then the next big thing for me is always gameplay. Yeah. I want to yeah, see yeah. what it actually looks like. Yeah. And those are the two kind of big things for me always. Yeah. yeah. Chris, you got mm. a piece of feedback? I have. It's from Ben who says, hello chaps, uh, a possibly fake teaser site for a Banana Man film has been posted. I think it could work as parody of all the big budget American superhero films. Do you agree? Who would you cast and have on directing duties? If all else fails, I'm sure Chris Akabusi would be cheap. Thanks, Ben. I don't know what that means at the end. Um, Chris Akabusi. So for our, reader, our listeners who might not know who Banana Man is. There's probably quite a few of them. Mm. Who's Banana Man? Eric, someone, I can't remember his name. Yeah, he lives in Acacia Avenue. Right. Uh, and anytime he eats a banana, Eric becomes Banana, banana Man. Funny so, <laughs> is this real or is it fake? Well, I didn't cover it, to be honest, because I thought it was fake. Well, it's just right. someone, someone, there's a, there's a website now, Banana Man the Movie or something.com. And based on that, news went around the internet, there's a Banana Man movie coming. So, the first question is why? Because <laughs> surely nobody cares about a Banana Man movie. What? You say, I used to, really? I used to, well, I, used really? to like, no, I don't care about it. Yes, I do care. I used to watch Banana Man a lot as a kid. See, I didn't really. Okay. You say that, but 10 years ago, 10 years ago, two years ago, I wrote a feature for IGN saying cartoons we want to see turn into movies and Banana <laughs> Man was on there. So it's your fault if it is true. Well, or I should get the credit if it's good. Right. So I did actually cast the movie back then. Go on then. <laughs> I cast as Eric. I cast a friend of the show, Craig Roberts. Yeah. Young cheeky scamp. As Eric Wimp. <laughs> That's what he's called. Eric Wimp, is he? He's called Eric Wimp. Later changed to Eric Twinge. But mm. usually referred to as Little Eric. Okay. And then for Banana Man, I went for <laughs> Jason Statham. <laughs> it's only all a bit obsessed with Jason Statham at the time. Yeah. yeah. But he's got to be big and muscular. Yeah. Or, so, or Chris Akabusi. So I don't actually remember that much of Banana Man. Do, do so you know he his powers? from a, a child into a big... Yeah. I, I, know, I know what Banana Man looks like. So a bit like. like Captain Marvel. He turns from a child yeah, into, right. a, into a man. Okay. Do you want to know what some of the powers are? Super strength. We can fly. Obviously. Flight, invulnerability, breathing in space. This one's a little bit more out there. Helium boosted heat finger. <laughs> wow. Um, intense stupidity. Also equipped with gadgets. Thermal banana. Banana laser cutter. <laughs> electronic thermal underwear. There you go. It's a success right there. Yeah, it was, it was, a, sp- it was a, sp- it's a spoof. Yeah. And it was quite a funny spoof. It, it was, I think it was in the Beano at one point. It, and the Dandy it as well. On the tele- and the Dandy. Say, it debuted it, yeah. in The Nutty, another comic published by DC Thompson in February 1980. Right. So if it was going to be a real movie, you're not going to attract Jason Statham, are you? Why not? Of course I, you're I don't not. know what you're on about, Alex. I, the, the, I, I, the unfortunate I, thing is, it's probably going to be someone like... Harry Hill or something ridiculous like that and it's going to be awful that's Harry Hill yeah <laughs> and it will be uh, it will be a complete parody. what was that film with it'll um, be the anti-superhero movie Julie Walters in a few years ago with Ron Weasley it was like really bad oh uh, yeah I know the one Fart Pants Fart Your Trousers Thunder Pants Thunder Pants Fart Your Pants Eric is a schoolboy who leads an amazing life for yeah. when Eric eats a banana an amazing transformation occurs mm. Eric is Puts Banana Man. It sounds down. awful. Basically, just puts it down his trousers. It was on TV. This is this is my feature. I found now. It was on TV from eighty three to eighty six. Right. Um, and the it was guys from the goodies who did the voices. Oh yeah. yeah. So that's where some of the humor came from because it was quite um. Bill it was quite wacky. Um, and it was like the, even even his his the villain was a spoof because it was Doctor Gloom rather than Doctor Doom. Right. And he had his sidekick Crow. Right. So yeah, he's impossibly square jawed, which is why I'm call I'm, I'm calling uh, Nathan. I like the Graham Garden did the voice, and apparently on some of the episodes they spelled his name wrong. <laughs> That's a banana man fact right there. Attention to detail. Look, I, anyway. I don't think this is ever going to get made. No, I think it's all horse crackers. I agree, and that's why I didn't put it on the site, to Good. be honest. But I'm glad we talked about it there. Thanks for the email, though, Ben. But and listeners, do, do you want to see a Banana Man film? Well, of course they do. Just, of course, there's people from America just writing in going, yeah, if we you want do, to do, start a petition. 
Let's get yeah. this shit made. Let's do it. Let's and start ha- a Kickstarter. And how could yeah. they contact us, Alex? Uh, IGN UK. IGN underscore. IGN underscore, <laughs> yes. uh, underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. It's yeah. such a fun email address. It really is. It is my favourite <laughs> of all the email addresses here at IGN. No, I like the Superhero <laughs> Show email address better. <laughs> yes. It's catchier, isn't it? Yeah. Catch you. Um, so that's it for reader feedback this week. So, uh, we're going to look at the games and movies that are out in the UK this week. First up, games, and obviously we spoke a lot about Hideo Kojima uh, in this week's podcast, and out this week is Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes. Uh, Dan, you've had the chance to play it. I've played it um, for about four hours, I think, in total. Why have you played it that long? It's only it's only ten minutes long. <laughs> it's only ten minutes. What, what, I'm doing it wrong. Right, I'm exactly. just really bad at you games. You must be really bad. No, obviously, since it's come out this week, there's lots of videos going around of people who've done it in ten minutes, nine minutes, eight minutes. But in reality, the first mission in the game, I think yeah. that's the best way to say it, the first and main mission in the game took me about an hour and 45 minutes, yeah. I think. And that's the first mission. Where I mean, you, you do don't know where you're going and you're scoping out and just kind of like getting absorbed in the world. I think it's world. the game, unlike Splinter Cell, and you can watch um, Hideo Kojima's director's commentary of the opening yeah. of the um, Ground Zero's mission on IGN. He, he reveals loads of really cool things about the opening of the game that you might have missed. Um, in, unlike Splinter Cell, where it's like, go here, do this, there's a mini-map. Yeah. You get dropped in this kind of Omega base, which is like a big Guantanamo Bay-style detention camp. And you don't know where to go. You feel like a proper secret agent, yeah. I think. You yeah. feel like an absolute badass as well. And you've just got to rely on your wits more than anything to f- find the two um, team members that you've got to rescue. Yeah. And It gives you a clue at the beginning, obviously, where uh, Chico is. Yeah. But then you've got to just, yeah, as you say, piece together kind there's of bits a, and There's a bit in the game where you get a clue yeah. and it makes you work it out for yourself. Yeah. And at the end, it doesn't say, for help, press this button. It says, yeah. if you don't know where to go, Maybe try harder, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And that's really refreshing. You fill up the map and there's not a big thing saying, no, go, go here, yeah. go here, which um, I really liked. So what I think that other people are finding kind of what people might experience is they'll finish that mission and they'll yeah. kind of go, is that it? Yeah. And if you go into the subsequent missions, the side ops, it's back on that same map. Yeah. So physically or geographically, it's not a big game, is it? Not, not really. But at the same time, uh, and you've played more of this than I have, obviously the main mission takes place at night, you know, raining, um, very drizzly and, and kind of gloomy. But then some of the side missions take um, uh, place during the day and it's, it feels like a completely different place, even though it's not. And you've got to play in a completely different way. Obviously you can play as stealth or you can just go, you know, balls out, guns blazing. So yeah. I actually uh, think, I think, well, it's made me really, really want to play Phantom Pain. I think more than anything. And if we're honest, this is what this game is. It's a prologue. It's yeah. kind of mm. a tone setter yeah. for Phantom Pain, which probably out 2015, perhaps. Yeah. But it is, yes, it's, it's, some people think it's a lot of money for what it is. Yeah. I don't because it's a hugely polished quality game made by Hideo Kojima, which yeah. I think is always worth checking out. Yeah. And, um, yeah. That's out this week. So the other big hitter uh, on PS4 is, well, I guess it's the first like, big PS4 exclusive, which is Infamous Second Son. Now, again, you've been playing a fair yeah, bit of that. Um, by the time this goes live, our review will be live. Um, we gave it 8.7. Yeah. It's a great game. So more um, than Ground Zero. More Ground than Ground Zero, which is 8. And I think that's obviously factoring the fact that it's not a full-blooded Metal yeah. Gear game. It's not in terms of plot. It's a, it's a sample of things to come. Yeah. And the new style of Metal Gear game. Infamous is more a traditional game. It is very similar to the other Infamous games, I think, even though it's new main character, Delson, who in the main game is much more likable than I thought he was going to be. Um, but is that kind of tried and tested structure is you're in one part of the map, um, you get a new power, you do some missions, the missions are quite good. Yep. There's loads of side missions and collectibles and things to unlock, blast shards, all that sort of stuff. Yep. So structurally, it's not a huge leap forward for the series, but it's one of the first kind of next-gen games that I've played and gone, that feels like a bit of a leap forward graphically. Sure. It looks like a Naughty Dog-style game in terms of the level of detail, but yep. done on an open-world scale. Yeah, yeah, so when yeah. you're walking down the street, buildings aren't reproduced, and things like walls have bespoke posters on them. There's nothing copied and paste, pasted as far as I can see. Yeah, yeah. And it's that level of detail that's like, wow. This feels like a different kind of sure. experience in terms of quality. Do you think it will be in the same way that Titanfall became a system seller for the Xbox One? Is this got the same kind of like I don't draw? Know. I know like 
some people who really love Infamous, yeah. especially um, edit, some editors on IGN who really kind of stalwart Infamous fans. But I don't, I don't get an impression that it's really cut through and become a mega franchise, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it has the allure of like, you know, an Uncharted or a... Yeah. Something like that. I think that is, for me, is the, the next kind of Naughty Dog game is going to be the big one for PlayStation. Yeah. Um, and well, hopefully we'll see more of that at E3. But yeah, if you've got a PS4, I think absolutely you should be picking up Infamous. Yeah. So uh, three other games out this week. Now, uh, Yaiba Ninja Gaiden Z, that's out. Uh, we gave it a 5.6. It's mediocre. Um, Quite misogynistic as well. Yeah. Um, so not good. Not cool. No, thanks. But but again, like Ninja Gaiden games have got quite a cult following, mm. so yeah. I'm sure that no matter what we say, it will still probably sell. Yeah, it's, few, got, it's interesting. It's got a really interesting graphical style. Yeah, it has. Yeah, a bit of a departure from the other games, but yeah, apparently the rest of it's not up to much. Yeah, um, Final Fantasy uh, 10 and 10 2, 10 2 uh, HD. They're both out again. HD remakes. If it's your thing, then you should definitely check it out. Uh, I know one Luke Marley yeah. will be loving it. Widely considered one of the very best Final Fantasy yep. games. Got 9.3 on IGN. Amazing. Yep. yep. Um, but it's, you know, I, I sat down with Luke uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was telling me why uh, I should play Final Fantasy. It's just not my kind of bag. But hey, no. if you like it, you like it, eh? And then finally, The Witch and the Hundred Knight. Again, like you were talking about that earlier. Yeah. That's so we <laughs> pendulous, yeah. I think, was a word that yeah, you used. Yeah, it's kind of that. So it came back. It came out in Japan last summer, um, and it's just been brought across to America and Europe. It's been um, regionalized. Uh, it's kind of hack and slash kind of adventure with RPG elements. Um, it's got an interesting graphical style, but it's got those kind of really ridiculous character yeah. types where maybe kind of some, parts of, style. some parts of the human anatomy might be exaggerated. grossly exaggerated yeah, right. on certain female members. Yeah. Wow. And um, apparently it's just a bit boring in places. We get it at 5.8. So there's better games out this week. So if sure. you're going to pick one, which one would you go for? This week, even though we get a high score, I think Ground Zeroes is the most interesting game out this week. I'm going to have to say Ground Zeroes too. Chris? Ground Zeroes. There you go. What about also don't forget Infamous what about movies what about movies quite a few movies out this week actually but nothing huge right I think everyone's running scared of Captain America next week so I'll build up a little bit there's a couple of very small limited releases that we haven't reviewed on the site but there's one called Svengali which is kind of a Britpop comedy it's got some good people in it Martin Freeman Matt Berry Alan McGee plays himself in it pretty much I watch Matt Berry in anything <laughs> yeah he's got we, we debuted the trailer on the site and he's, there's a very funny scene with him in so that looks like fun, but feels like maybe you don't need to see it in the cinema. Uh, the Machine is a low-budget um, science fiction movie. Yeah, I ran, one. I ran a clip of it on the site last week. It's kind of... any The clip we ran looks quite... It looks quite stylish, but yeah. I don't know. Toby Stevens yeah. is in it. It's about a couple of scientists who fall in love creating uh, an artificial intelligence. Right. So, yeah, again, but that's out uh, VOD like next week, I think. Yeah. So that's very limited release. Um, then we've got some bigger films. A Long Way Down is out this week, which is an adaptation of the Nick Hornby book. Right. I think it's by Nick Hornby directing. Okay. Um, it's got a good cast. It's Pierce Brosnan, Tony Collette. Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. Ah. And um, Imogen Poots. Yeah. And it's about four people who um, go to the top of a building to commit suicide and bump into each <laughs> other up there. And then it's kind of how the, their friendship goes from there Nick Hornby's always alright yeah be interested to see yeah. him direct in a few years yeah, yeah. Uh, we've also got Labour Day coming out which is um, what's he called Jason Reitman's new movie right. director of Up in the Air yep and Juno not very good and not Ghostbusters Ball accounts <laughs> oh. it was uh, it got pretty panned when it played at the London Film Festival it's also, also really annoying when it's advertised in London and Labour doesn't have a U in it oh, like, same oh. when Judgment Day or something yeah. is on, yeah. oh, on they've, not, they've not put the U in they've not put the U in I actually saw it on the tube as a, so this always happens somebody on the on, on the tube the other day put a post-it note on the poster that had a U on it yeah <laughs> but it's bad it's Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin um, it's about a criminal and a single mum kind of falling in love kind of thing it's a book by Nick Sparks who did The Notebook right I kind of that's enough that's all I really need to know <laughs> we gave it we gave it 6.9 uh, and we said there's no real danger or, or passion in Labour Day, but the honesty emitting from director Jason Reitman and his cast is tangible enough to hook us. Not me. Uh, <laughs> About Last Night is coming out, um, which is a remake of the Brat Pack movie from 1986, which was written by David Mamet and starred uh, Rob Lowe and Demi Moore. This one, uh, Kevin Hart is in it. Ah, our old okay, friend Kevin yeah. Hart. Uh, and it was a big hit in the States. It's kind of about a, a romantic 
comedy drama about twenty something. He's got big following in the states, hasn't he? Like, yeah. he is very funny. Yeah, he's but he sounds very funnier. nice as well. A lovely guy, um, and. But I, I don't know. It, I hadn't really heard of him before he came in. That's the, the thing. Like, he's not a big star. And, UK, and I just thought he was just a naturally funny. Obviously, he's a comedian. Yeah. But um, but I just oh. m- warmed to him straight away. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that I know this different film, but the pairing between him and Ice Cube worked really, really well. The dynamic, you know, the kind of straight, kind of cool guy, and then the guy that takes the piss out of him all the time. <laughs> yeah, was yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. That works. Um, this is kind of a grown-up movie for him, but it yeah. was a big hit in the states. We gave it eight point six. Uh, the only drawback I'm hearing is there's not a scene with him with a gun where he shoots <laughs> it and flies back what? into a wall. Don't, don't. <laughs> Please don't, Chris. He, he did in Ride Along, which we're obviously Chris all big fans of that joke. Otherwise, I'm, I'm actually on the, the verge. Movie. I'm on the verge of imagining it. And if I do that, I'm gone. <laughs> all right, I won't mention that again. Let's talk more seriously then. The, the other film out this week is Startup, which I'm currently in the midst of writing my review for. Um, it's absolutely fantastic really oh. good uh, small British film directed by a guy called Dave McKenzie who's done some good movies in the past Hallam Foe Young Adam and it's set in prison if you've ever seen Scum it's kind of like an update of Scum almost or A Prophet which is a brilliant French film from about five years ago and Jack O'Connell who people know from Skins um, he was also in Tab Block. He's in 300. He's not so good in that. He's brilliant in this. Right. And it's called Startup because this is what happens when young offenders are too much trouble for the institutes they're in. They get Startup, which means they get put into men's prisons. Right. Which is obviously a terrifying thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's following this kid. It starts off with him going into the prison. It's, it's wordless for the first 20 minutes. You just see what he goes through. Right. But it's, it's absolutely gripping. And his dad, who's a pretty bad person is in the prison as well it's pretty uncompromising yeah stuff. Right. yeah but really powerful um i'll be surprised if i see a better british film this year so i haven't decided wow. to give it yeah 8.3 8.4 but that's going to be your your pick for the film week. of the week yeah if there's one film yeah. you're going to see in cinemas see that so one. this week metal gear five ground zeros and yep. startup there you go that's your weekend good selection uh i think that's pretty much it for this week's podcast uh thank you obviously to everybody uh watching and listening and uh, well, we'll be, we will. We'll be back next week. <laughs> we I will. Can, we will. I can put my teeth back in. <laughs> and uh, until then, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.